Genesis chapter 10. How very exciting. Uh, I'm a little tongue-in-cheek on that. It's a genealogy. It's a long genealogy. It's not the longest by a long shot. We, someday we may have to do First Chronicles. I don't think it may be the first part of that. But, uh, <laughs> we're in Genesis chapter 10. And I, I don't think I'm going to ask people to read the passages that are here, partially just because... It's no fun, you know, to stumble over names and things, uh, you know. And I, I struggle myself, actually, because unfortunately, I did actually learn how to pronounce Hebrew at some point in my life. And so now what comes out is this weird pigeon mixture of it, because I don't want to confuse anybody. So some names, I just go with what everyone recognizes, and some, I go full, you know. I mean, who did, uh, who did Esther marry? Was it a Hasserus or a Hesuerus, or was it a Hashverus? <laughs> or Xerxes. <laughs> you know, let's just go Greek and just forget the whole thing, right? <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, um, he's not in here. I just use that as an example. So I'm going to be reading, I think, from this chapter, but God willing, if we can get to 11. Yeah, everybody's like, you know, 10% of you get to 11. Never mind. All right. Um, so we'll start with verse 1 because it's a notable little verse. Uh, These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Uh, that means, you know, that's a formula, right? We, we all recognize this formula now. Whenever it comes up in this book, actually throughout scripture, it means that there's a change in the perspective. Everything is narrowing or shifting to a different place than it was before. We uh, previously, we've been looking at uh, the generations following uh, Adam and uh, we, we saw that we were in the book of, uh, sort of the book, we, we were in the book of Noah, really, learning about the flood. You know, the whole world narrowed down to eight people in a, in a crate floating, you know, floating on the water for a year. And now we are in the fifth book, and we are expanding our reach a little bit and looking at those who came from Noah and his sons. Uh, and... Uh, Genesis 10 is sort of giving you the quick overview of where they went and, and you know, what they were, ended up sort of doing geopolitically, if you want to put it that way. And then uh, chapter 11 sort of gets us back on track with our story. So this is, uh, I, I've called this book the Noahites United and Divided. This is more united, divided is the next chapter. Um, so that's... Uh, yeah, we're, we're, in, we're in, this is the fifth major division of scripture. There's only like 12 or 13. Genesis is going to get us through the majority of them. Isn't that weird? Anyway, there's a lot in Genesis. Genesis covers more history as far as time goes than any other book in the Bible. Well, you could possibly make an argument for Revelation because it goes to eternity. That's not fair. But uh, anyway, we start, interestingly enough, with Japheth, who is not the oldest, uh, but uh, for some reason, the Holy Spirit and Moses decided to kick things off with Japheth in verses 25. <coughs> and something I want to point out before we launch into all of this. Um, you have to understand that this, this part of the book has been written for people in the future. That's us, okay? It's been written for... You know, people in Moses' day who themselves are 
hundreds, if not a thousand years after this took place. And uh, we, you know, of course, are even further in the future, farther away. And so we're not being told, you know, this is not strictly speaking a history that says, okay, Japheth had this son and his name was so-and-so, and so-and-so and his family, they ended up living there in this place and their people are this people. It's not that specific. This chapter is gonna sort of mix and match with the effects of the next one. So sometimes it's talking about, yeah, sometimes it is talking about you know, a people group who in mass moved someplace and became the tribe or nation <coughs> that lives there. But in some cases, it's sort of mixing it up with they, this is the group that politically ended up associated with a certain area or linguistically ended up with a certain area. Um, it's a little bit more about, you know, how, you know, this is, this is the Lord basically showing us that, okay, you know, from Shem, Ham, and Japheth came all the nations of the world that are basically going to be dealt with in Scripture. I mean, and we're talking a couple of these names show up in Revelation, show, so this goes like all the way to the end. <laughs> you know, these are, you know, the point of all of this is to say that uh, everything came out of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Every person, every group, every, every nation, if you want to just lump them that way. But, you know, there's, there's different, you know, we think of nation, and we kind of probably think of nation or nation state. We think of political differences. And you have to recognize that in the Bible, you have to look at the context to figure out, is this a political entity? Is it a sort of a, and I don't even want to use the word racial entity, because, you know, race, the way we talk about it today, is not a thing in the Bible. Okay? Honestly, there isn't, you know, there isn't races in the sense that, you know, I don't know, we're all part of the human race. That's really the most important distinction to be made right there. But there are ethnic groups that are related to each other that have similar characteristics, right? I mean, I am not saying, you know, that there is no such thing as black people. I am saying that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily call them a nation the way, the way some parts of the Bible do, and then sometimes you would. The point is, you got to look at the that was very confusing, wasn't it? This, this is just par for the course. If you come tonight, it'll be even far more confusing, and you will be even angrier at me than you are now. So, for wasting your time, uh, Japheth, chapter, uh, verses 2 through 5. The sons of Japheth are Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tira. Uh, the sons of Gomer are Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma. The sons of uh, Yavan are Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim and Dodanim, from these the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. And that's Japheth. It's funny, that's not very many verses given the impact that Japheth's children had on history. We here in the Western world, Japheth is everything to us. I mean, Japheth is, you know, Japheth and Shem together are, you know, together they make Western culture what they are. It's their descendants that established all of this stuff. It's like Shem is the heart and the backbone 
of Western culture. And Japheth is the driving force of people and, you know, military and political history that, that, that came along underneath that. Those two forces together produce the world we live in today, at least here where we are in the United States of America. Um, going through these names, uh, we've got uh, Gomer, and uh, that's uh, essentially the northern tribes of the upper Euphrates in the early parts. Uh, um, and I'm, I'm, these are, a lot of these are guesses. I mean, there are very educated guesses by commentators who are way smarter than I am and have done a lot more research, and I'm just parroting them. I got them from three or four different sources, uh, the net translation notes, the, uh, the, I mean, the New English translations, translation notes, the, uh, um, you know, something, some stuff out of MacArthur's work, some things out of, you know, other atlases that I have sort of you know, built up over the years. Um, but I'm just gonna basically rattle some of these things off. Um, Gomer, the, the north, the, the, the upper Euphrates, the northern tribes, that includes Indo-Germanic tribes. Scythians are part of the, of, of Ashkenaz. And, uh, you know, again, if you know anything about the ancient Near East, Scythians are a big deal. And if you don't know anything about them, eh, don't worry about it right now. Um, uh, they're often, yeah, it used to be before Hitler kind of ruined the word, we called these people Aryans. But Hitler really screwed that up. You know, Hitler kind of you know, redefined all these words for everybody. So we can't really call them that anymore. But there is sort of a culture that went from northern India and <coughs> had an impact all the way into Europe. And that's this this kind of culture. These people were nomadic and traveled and brought that around with them. Um, Rifat is uh, north of the road from Haran, which is gonna be important later, to Karkamesh. Uh, Tagarma is a place in eastern Turkey. That's Gomer. There you go. All right, and uh, yeah? But like one of the major divisions in Jewish, there's two major divisions, right, in Jewish groups, and they're Ashkenazi Jews. Sephardi Jews, yeah. is there any It's funny, yeah, no, that's a good question, and uh, I should have been a little more prepared for that, but I'll go from memory on this one best I can. Yeah, uh, let's see here, so, right, the Ashkenazi groups, uh, they, nowadays, they're seen as more the Eastern European ones, and they have a very specific way of pronouncing Hebrew. Uh, Ashkenazi pronunciation is really weird, like, uh, in, uh, in Sephardic, which is probably more like ancient Hebrew, Sabbath would have been said Shabbat, with a hard T sound at the end. And, uh, and Ashkenazi pronunciation, which is more typical for Jews in the United States, by the way, and is more of the Eastern European one, uh, it has a little bit more of a flowing, tumbling sort of a sound, and they've softened almost everything. So uh, Shabbat for them is Shabbos. You know, and you're like, boy, you're lazy. No, it sounds lazy, but it's not. This is this is normal, though. You know, you know, they'll say, hey, good Shabbos, and you're like, what's a Shabbos? And yeah, it took me a little while to figure out. Oh, Shabbat. Oh, it was Shabbat. Yeah. Um, how they're connected? It's probably geographic more than anything. Yeah. The Sephardic uh, tribes came. They, they. I'm sorry. The Sephardic uh, 
group of Jews, I should say, and their uh, pronunciation is when you know there were Jews who moved to uh, areas all throughout the southern part of uh, Arabia, and they held more toward the original pronunciations, probably because they were surrounded by Arabic, which was similar to, in some ways in pronunciation, and very locked down. Arabic is one of these dead languages that has been propped up forever, much like Latin, except that Arabic is actually spoken by people, whereas Latin is entirely an academic language at this point. Anyway, the, the effect, though, is that that's why Sephardic tends to still have all of these, I think, ancient pronunciations and keeps them fairly rigid. Um, and though it's interesting because a lot of those Jews ended up then in Spain, oddly enough, and uh, were the subject of some parts of the Inquisition, unfortunately, and things like that. Yeah, but um, I could talk about that a lot more, but that's not the point of this, so I guess I'm gonna keep going. Um, anyway, but yeah, there's, I think there's a geographic I think that's most of it, actually. Um, and then we get to, uh, let's see here. The next one I'm going to mention, Magog. You know, this is Magog. You know, Gog and Magog. Everybody who thinks about prophecy remembers those names, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is that? I don't know off the top of my head, honestly. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's some northern area, but everybody's got a different opinion on it. And it tends to. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. He he was really big on that. Yeah, and he had reasons for saying things like that too. I mean, he, yeah, you know, he would, and he would, you know, in the early days, he and a lot of uh, his dispensational brethren would try to connect some of these names to modern place names in Russia. You know, like Meshach, That's Moscow, or not Meshach, uh, Yeah, you know, Meshach, That's Moscow. Yeah, when in fact. It's close, but that's, uh, that's probably more the, the, the Musku, which is a uh, name from the Assyrian records, interestingly enough. Uh, again, another tribe that they may have ended up in the steppes of Russia, but who knows? I, you know, these are things that are more known to maybe people in Moses' time than they are to now. Again, the point is just see where, you know, you know see that all of these people came from the original three. And... Maybe more importantly, you know, there's a, there's a point to be made in Acts. I think it's Peter who's uh, preaching when, or no, it's Peter Paul. I don't even remember now. That's sad because I just read this yesterday. Uh, sorry, I'm a little bit on overload preparing for today. So, um, but, uh, you know, somebody in Acts is preaching and says that God is the one who sets the boundaries of the nations. You know, he's the one who determines you know, who they are, where they live, how far they will go, whether they're increasing or decreasing in a moment. You know, what, what, you know, how is this nation doing? How, what are their boundaries? Are they being overrun or are they doing the overrunning? Or are they at a peaceful time? God makes all of those decisions. And this, I think, plays into that a little bit. I think this whole passage is really about, you know, God's telling us, where they were at certain points in history to tell us that he knows, he's always known. He's the one who decided all of these things. He is in control of all this stuff. People who get really caught up in the geopolitics of our modern time never forget that God is the one who determines the boundaries of the nations. He's the one who makes all of these decisions. So, 
you know, don't get too hung up on it because our God is in control. Mm. It's good news because otherwise CNN will scare you. <laughs> All right. So uh, anyway, may God. We've got uh, Madai. That is almost certainly the Medes. Medes and the Persians. That's a big name later on in the Old Testament, right? That's a very important group of people. Uh, Tubal, uh, those are tribes that are living north of the Black Sea. Uh, again, most likely got caught up into the steppe people in uh, Russia, or one of the stands more likely at this point, but you know. Uh, let's see here. I mentioned Meshach. Uh, we, we recognize this name from Assyrian records too. Again, tribes that were recognized back then. Tiras is most likely Thrace. Um, so we're talking uh, area, an area toward Greece, uh, and particularly maybe uh, the pirates of the Aegean Islands. Yes, so pirates. Ooh. Anyway, um, yes, pirates. Again, at no time in history are pirates interesting or exciting or fun until now. You know, for some reason, we have really romanticized things. For everybody else in history, pirates are a bad thing. <laughs> you know, you don't want to get caught by pirates. Pirates are bad. You know, you think Somali pirates, not pirates of the Caribbean, okay? You know? <laughs> so, anyway. Um, let's hear, uh, here, I mentioned Gomer. And finally, uh, the one that I've been kind of skipping around here is uh, Yavan or Javan. And that's an important group. The Hellenic races came from the Greeks. Uh, Elisha is uh, Cyprus, most likely. Tarshish. Uh, Tarshish is a tough one. There's a couple of different Tarshishes in the ancient world. Uh, there's one in southern Turkey, but there might be one in Sardinia, and there is almost certainly one in Spain. So everybody's talking about someplace out west across the Mediterranean. But is it near, middle, or far away? Sometimes you don't know, and sometimes you have to figure out by context, you know? So, like, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Jonah wants to catch a ship for Tarshish really bad, because that's the opposite direction to Nineveh. <laughs> and I like to think he was heading all the way to Spain, man, just on the other side of the world as far as he could. Anyway, um, Kittim, uh, that is also a group that ended up in Cyprus, and uh, the coastlines of Greece, uh, east of Rhodes, or the great the Greek <coughs> islands, at least. But uh, interestingly enough, later on, Jewish tradition locks Kittim to the Romans. And it could be that this is God's way of telling us where the Etruscans came from. That's a, uh, that, those are the native Italians, essentially, that end up becoming the, uh, you know, the bones of, the, of uh, what we think of as ancient Romans, really. And then uh, Dodanim is Greece, the main one. And you know the fact that the fact that he even calls the sons of Javan the last two names Kitim and Dodanim ending in im that's just a Hebrew plural word. I mean, at this point, you know Moses has sort of stopped pretending necessarily that these were the names of people, of of individuals, I should say, and he has gotten to the point of telling you, oh yeah, and this people group and that people group. So, all right, that's Japheth. That was longer than I expected. So we're going to go a little bit. All right, the sons of Ham, that's verses 6 through 20. Um, 
Yeah, we have to read this because there's some good verses in the middle, so I'm going to. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Hey, we know about Canaan. We talked about him last week. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Tabteka. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Didan. Some of these names should sound familiar to you. Sheba, as in the queen of Sheba. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Good job. All right. Uh, and then verse 8, Cush fathered Nimrod. Oh, this, this kind of jolts us out of our genealogy for a moment. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kalah and Resen between Nineveh and Kalah, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, Kasluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kathrim. And before we go on into Canaan, uh, we'll just stop and talk about some of these a little bit. Uh, Seba, that's uh, among the sons of Cush, that's uh, the upper Egypt, and you have to remember, um, you know, the upper, you know, you know the up, upper Egypt is south, and lower Egypt is north. It's a little bit weird. It's down along the Nile. Havilah is literally, uh, it means stretch of sand. It's eastern Arabia. Sabtah is the western shore of the Persian Gulf. Ramah is most likely southwest Arabia. So um, Sheba is a kingdom in southwest Arabia. Uh, Didan is probably uh, what's now called Ula in northern Arabia. Sabteca is east toward the Persian Gulf, and that covers basically Cush. Uh, so Cush himself, uh, that's the word for Ethiopia. It's always translated Ethiopia. It's always understood as being Ethiopia. So, you know, and you think, yeah, but you were talking about Ethiopians, and then you started talking about Arabs coming from, or people who live in the Arabian Peninsula coming from there. And yeah, because, you know, they traveled, they moved around, and again, this could be an indication of, again, geopolitical differences and not so much, you know, entirely ancestry. Hard to say, really, but anyway. Moving on. Uh, uh, we finally get to Nimrod, though. A mighty hunter before Yahweh. Uh, it's interesting, this word hunter, it is used sometimes in scripture for hunting men. <laughs> He's a mighty hunter, you know, like, you know, one of those awful, uh, you know, one of those awful, you know, apocalypse, you know, apocalyptic kind of movies where people are, you know, hunting men, you know, anyway. Um, I, I, this, is, this is a guy who's known for killing and probably killing a lot of people. And that actually does seem likely, given the extent of his empire. You know, how do you build up a big empire in a fallen world? Well, you probably have to murder a lot of people to do it, or kill them in mass, or something. Um, calling him a mighty hunter before Yahweh could be a phrase that just means that he's the best hunter in the world. It might not, you know, it, it, it certainly isn't implying that he has any kind of a good personal relationship. Um, he establishes his first kingdom in Shinar. Anybody know what Shinar is? 
Mesopotamia. And what do we think of as being in Mesopotamia? Babylon, Babylonia. Anything that you think of as Babylonian Empire, Babylonian uh, cities, this is the stuff that started out here. And it even tells you that uh, you know, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, or Babel in, uh, in uh, Hebrew, Babylon. Erech is almost a direct connection to a word that we now call Uruk. Uh, again, one of the ancient groups and cities there. Akkad, we recognize that as the original Assyrian Empire, the Akkadians. That, you know, the Sumerians and the Akkadians are, you know, his, history recognizes them as the original um, large uh, socio-political groups that came out of the Fertile Crescent. Uh, and Kalna, interestingly enough, might just mean all of them. <laughs> it might not be a place name, it might just be indicating, you know, so it might just be saying the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, all those. <laughs> I don't know if Kalna is a specific place because nobody can agree on where it is and a few scholars were like, wait a minute, doesn't that just mean all of them? Uh, and then from that land, he went into Assyria. So he kind of moved a little bit northwest. And uh, then he founded uh, Nineveh, recognizably Nineveh. We know about Nineveh. Rehobodir is kind of a weird one because uh, Rehobodir literally means, and the broad streets of a city, which could just be telling you that he made Nineveh and it was a big city. Rehobodir might not be an individual place. It might just be telling you that Nineveh was big. And then Kala, um, that's, uh, that's what we now, mo it, it's funny because Kala's modern name is Nimrud. <laughs> that's what it's called now on the map. You can find it. Uh, it's about 20 miles north of Nineveh. And Resen between Nineveh and Kala. And uh, the implication is not that Resen is the great city, but that uh, Kala was the great city. So between the big metropolis with the big roads and the great city of Kala was Resen, which I don't know if it's a, just a stopover point in between there or what, but they think it's important. And that's what he established. The worst, most evil empires of ancient times. Assyrians built pyramids out of skulls. Okay, they were, they were a vicious culture. You know, Babylon, you know, known for you know, the, 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 you know, some of the, the most perverse uh, religious practices of ancient times. You know, they, 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 they owed everything to, you know, Marduk and Ishtar. Everybody's named after them, you know, and all of those things. Yeah, and so all of that stuff came from, apparently, Nimrod. And again, you have to recognize that this is not chronological with chapter 11. Chapter 11 doesn't happen after this. Chapter 11 is happening within this time period. So, in other words, the Tower of Babel is what spread people out all over the place, and this is where they went. It's just telling you where they went first. Genesis kind of does that a lot, actually, if you think about it. We're almost to the end of that part where it's doing that a lot. Because, you know, it has often told us Here's the effects of what happened. Oh, and now I'm going to tell you what happened. You know, Genesis 1, it's like, you know, oh, yeah, he made Adam and Eve. And Genesis 2, he's like, oh, yeah, and so here's what he actually did to do that. 
moving on then. Uh, we covered Egypt in verses 13 and 14. Uh, that's, uh, Egypt is Mizraim. It's the upper and lower Egypt. Um, and it just rattles off a whole bunch of tribes that may or may not, you know, directly matter. There's, you know, it covers a lot of ground. It's not just Egypt. We've got Libyan tribes in here. We've got uh, some other people who lived in North Africa in various places. Uh, the the Pathrusim is kind of interesting. Uh, there's an Egyptian word that directly corresponds to this, Petoresi. They lived in Upper Egypt. Um, the Kasluhim were told from whom the Philistines came. They probably ended up in Crete, interestingly enough, and the Kaftarim almost certainly ended up in or some people who are called beyond the Mediterranean, but again, from the point of view of the land of Israel, beyond the Mediterranean is anything that you have to sail across the Mediterranean to get to. That could be Crete, that could be Cyprus, or it could be Spain. You know, for that matter, it could be, you know, Carlton, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know. <laughs> but uh, almost certainly, you know, the Philistines may have been part of what were called the Sea Peoples, Aegean peoples who came across. And that really confuses things because you think oh, Aegean, you just said they were from Japheth and Javan. And they were more Greek oriented than this. And this is where the confusion lies. This is why you can't just read this as necessarily being, this is where those people went. It could just be that this is the culture of the people who came back over here too. These people mix together. Or sometimes, and you see this a lot, uh, like for example, in uh, the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonians had a ruling class that was a different ethnic group than the, the man about town. Uh, you had the, uh, the Chaldeans, you know, they were, you know they, they were separated apart to the point where in Daniel, they're actually referred to as a separate group of people, the Chaldeans. They're the astrologers. They're the wise people. They're the counselors for the king and all of that stuff. They're the magicians. They're, they're this, that, and the other thing. And everybody else is just normal Babylonians, and you get the impression that they're actually two different people groups. Well, that happens frequently, you know, especially when one empire takes over another, or one, one nation overruns another and takes it over. You have a ruling class that is of one people group, and they're administering a nation that is made up of another one. And that's, it isn't always, you know, oppressors with their boots on the neck of somebody. And I'll just point out that, you know, in my view of a future kingdom, in the millennial reign, um, a whole bunch of Gentiles are going to be the ruling class, you know, because we were the saints previously of a whole bunch of large, you know, people all over the place, but a very Israelite-oriented future empire. So, uh, you know. Go ahead. All right. Um, I'll stop mixing streams here and keep going. Uh, put Libya, uh, and then we get to Canaan. Oh, boy, we're almost out of time. we got to finish this. All right. Uh, the list following Canaan, uh, I think I can largely skip this, although I will point out a couple of things. Um, this, is the, this is the classic group of Canaanite uh, tribes that we see throughout the Torah, throughout the first five books. These are the people that are being displaced by 
the Israelites as they moved back in under Joshua. You recognize some of these, you know, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the, you know, and you're like, who are all these people? Ice, 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 ice. You know, we're, we're told about Sidon, and that is a city up to the north in Phoenicia. Um, when they, we talk about Canaanite Hittites, we're not necessarily talking about historical Hittites. That's two different groups of people. There's a Hittite empire that probably came from Asia Minor, which almost certainly isn't the Canaanites, sons of Heth, who are the Hittites who lived in Israel. Um, uh, let's see, Jebusites, they all lived in one place. Jebusites had a very central location with a nice city. What was that city? Jerusalem. Yes, whose original name apparently was uh, Jebus or Jebus or something. Um, yeah, they're the natives of Jerusalem, and it took King David to rouse those people. So, wow. I mean, they hung on longer than just about anybody. The Amorites, uh, let's see here. There, there is a Western Semitic group called Amorites. This is not them. This is more of a mountain tribe. We've got Girgashites. Nobody knows what a Girgashite is. Uh, as far as I can tell, everybody had either a different weak opinion or no opinion at all. Um, Hivites, they're Hurrian tribes. Archites, they're north of Sidon. Sinites, that's from a town in Lebanon. Arvidites, it's an island city up between Lebanon and Turkey somewhere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Finally, then we get to, um, oh, I guess I should mention, though, that uh, Moses does point out that the territory of the Canaanites extended all the way south to Sodom, Gomorrah, Admon, Zeboim, you know. I like that he's name-calling these things early. You know, he's just pointing out, oh yeah, and remember that, because we're coming back to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not that many chapters away. So, Canaanites. Yeah, that's, Lot, Lot looked at them and said, oh yes, I want to live in their city. Righteous Lot. Um, Shem, who we are told, uh, probably for the first time, I think, in uh, verse 21, is older than Japheth. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. And then we get a list. Elam, highland tribes, Asher, Assyria. Wait a minute, we were just told that Nimrod was, you know, moved into Assyria. It's the same word. Yeah, again, two different people groups can come together in one geopolitical entity, possibly with one group over another, possibly with them mixing it up. <coughs> that happened. Uh, Arpakshad, Shelah, and interestingly enough, between Arpakshad and Shelah, there was almost certainly another, gener another uh, person, a guy named Kainan, not Canaan, has an I in it. Um, and that matters just to point out that Almost, there are, there are almost none of these genealogies that you can say, this is telling you every single person in the line. That is not the point of any of these genealogies, is to give you a direct, you know, this is not so you can go on Ancestry.com and track them, okay? <laughs> this is so that you learn a bigger lesson that comes out of all of this. That's the, what's important. It's other, yeah, in other places we learn about Kainan, and in other places they skip the poor guy. I don't even know why. Um, 
That's here. We're told that Eber had two sons in verse 25. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. What does that mean? It's, I'm, I think it's, it means the Tower of Babel. But there are people who make the case for it being a post-flood catastrophic breakup of continents. Maybe. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. It's the same word that's used in Psalm 55.9 when it talks about God dividing up the tongues at Babel. So I, I, I lean into the whole, eh, if it's going to use the same word, it's probably talking about the same thing. Yeah. I think that's a good first approximation. Uh, then a whole bunch of Arab tribes, which again, you're like, but we already covered Arab tribes, mixing and matching. There's, you know, some of these people moved into the same or close places. The Arab Peninsula was full of people from Ham and from Shem. There were Semite tribes in there. There were Hamite tribes in there. It's okay. Don't get worried about it. It, just, it happens. <laughs> they intermix sometimes. Sometimes they don't. Um, I'm not going to go through all of these. And uh, then, uh, yeah, we're about out of time. Uh, let's see, we have Lud, which could be Lydia and Turkey. It could be a place near the Tigris. Hard to say. And perhaps most importantly, we have uh, Aram, the northern tribes in Mesopotamia. Um, so this is, uh, let's see here, where is Aram? Oh, verse 23. Yeah. Um, maybe the most notable thing about them is that they spoke a language that is close to Hebrew, but not close enough that you could just immediately, one person could speak the other one. And they spoke a language called Aramaic, which is very significant because it is the language of the Old Testament. I mean, everywhere in the ancient Near East, you have to speak Aramaic to talk to people who you don't know. It's like English today, it's like Greek and Jesus language of everything. So, and uh, verse 32, these are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So in the future they spread out across the world and that's just sort of the you know cliffhanger of oh and did you want to know about why they spread out? We'll tell you next week, in the next chapter. <laughs> so, because that will be the Tower of Babel, which is, to my mind, a lot more interesting than this chapter. And I am so sorry to put you all through this. It's hard, it's hard to know what to say about these things. You know? Nimrod is bad. Shem is good. You know? You barely get a hint as to that, actually. You know, it, it's only because of history in general that we know anything else. Any really quick questions or comments? Is that why Shem is yeah, Shem, Shem matters more to the story going forward. He's the red thread. Yeah, exactly. That's a, good, that's a good way of putting it. Yes, he is the, yes, because it's his line, we've got to get into that. But, you know, all these other people are going to be connecting. I mean, you know, Ham's son Mitzrayim is pretty, you know, that Egypt is really, really important to the story in the next couple of books. <laughs> you know, end of Genesis and all of Exodus, there's Egypt, 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 Egypt. That's important. You know, and then after that, it's all about Ham's son Canaan. Canaan, 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 Canaan. You know, where did these people come from? Here you go, you know. Well, 
I gotta wrap it up. I don't have time to even have a final thought. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, Lord, nothing in your word is boring. We're the ones who make it, so. Uh, and I'm sorry for that uh, in my part in that work, but uh, Lord, there's just there, there's there, there's there's depth here that uh, we haven't plumbed, Lord. I pray though that uh, we recognize that you are the one who sets the boundaries. You are the one in control of history. You guide it the way you want it to go. You are, Lord, the, you're in charge of all of this. And everything goes according to your will. And uh, it's part of why we worship you, Lord. And I pray that you will find our worship acceptable in the next hour as we sing, as we pray, and as we most importantly hear your word preached. In the name of your son. Amen.